This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealoux, Zach Gershman, and three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch. Game one looked good. Game two did not look so good. What does it all mean? Well, that's what we're here to discuss over the next hour. As we say welcome, it is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And as you heard, a new addition to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Welcome, Zach Gershman. Your debut episode. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Was not expecting that intro. So there is a standard though that we hold everyone who sits in that chair. So make sure you are living up to those expectations. I hope so. All right. It was a couple of days ago. 38-10 38-10 to 10 final against the Kansas City Chiefs. An upgrade in talent from the week prior, the Denver Broncos. But still some things that this team needs to work on, and I thought it was fitting when the head coach met the media afterwards. He said, yeah, a lot to clean up. Kyle, as you were watching that game first half into the second half, the number of things that did not go well for the Cardinals, at least according to the coach, all correctable. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, obviously the execution was not as good as the first game. That was the most impressive thing with all the new players, all the new coaches with the Broncos game was um, just the execution, getting the plays in on time. It looked like guys knew what they were doing. They were in the right place. Tackling was clean. There was no big uh, blown coverages, no voids in the defense. um, And really across the board, all those things took a step back in preseason game two. Um, and really, you know, almost with with a few exceptions, uh, the level of play dropped. Um, you know, the players that I was looking at getting more time, getting a few more reps on the field, um, it didn't seem like they were as impactful, didn't show up quite as much. Um, you know, there again, there is few exceptions, that, um, but, um, you know, it, it was a, a large step up in the competition, in the talent that the Chiefs had. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, at times it, it looked like the Chiefs could do whatever they wanted to against, um, you know, largely second and third string players. Um, but at the same time, um, y- you know, they're coached the same. They're taught the same. They're out there doing the same things as the starters. Um, you know, your twos and threes um, need to go out there and execute, particularly, y- you know, going through what we went through last year with the number of injuries and the, and the number of lost starts that this team had. Um, you know, there's got to be a huge emphasis on the twos and threes being able to step up and execute when they come on the field. So, um, you know, to me, it was there was a few bright spots, not as many as week one. Um, so, you know, hopefully they you know are able to iron some of those things out practicing, practicing against the Vikings this week. Joint practices on Wednesday and Thursday, the preseason finale on Saturday. But you look back and you see the number eight as far as eight penalties. And then you look at the number of missed tackles, whether it were poor angles or just not doing the complete 
form as far as wrapping up the ball carrier and bringing them down to the ground. And then the number of explosive plays, that defense got gashed, especially late in that second quarter into the second half. And the Chiefs quarterbacks, it wasn't just Patrick Mahomes, able to do whatever they wanted to do. But as you look from week one to week two, Zach, and kind of put the Cardinals in a spotlight going into this week where they need to get better. I think the the technique is what Jonathan Gannon said post game was the biggest uh, downfall for the team. It was asked if it was the discipline or what was the issue. It was the lack of preparation as that as to why they did have the eight penalties for eighty two yards as opposed to the previous game against the Broncos where they had four the entire game and just in the first quarter the Cardinals had three and he said it was a lack of technique. So. Cleaning up that kind of stuff is exactly what I think they really want to focus on. When you're going in these joint practices, the the tension is there. It's a lot more physical. Your technique could kind of go under the rug a little bit. You can't let that happen during these joint practices. Again, a lot riding on these two practices, and hopefully there are just two practices. We've seen across the league that teams are canceling the second of the two joint practices or just canceling them altogether. Cardinals a year ago had two joint practices scheduled with the Titans, and the second one was called off. So we'll keep our fingers crossed because I do think the value that both teams will get out of these joint practices much better, much stronger than perhaps even that preseason game is on Saturday. But looking back at this past Saturday, again, the final score, Chiefs win it 38-10. to Here is the head coach, Jonathan Gannon. Did some positive things and then some things that we need to clean up. I thought uh, we ran pretty well. We had some good uh, instances of hitting, but um, schematically we got to get some things cleaned up, being in the right position, winning our leverage, making the right calls on the O-line, some distribution with our route concepts, the ball coming out on time, all those good things. First team offense on the field with Colt McCoy for the first three series, unable to get any kind of tractions as far as being in position to put the ball in the end zone or put points on the scoreboard. They ran into third and manageable, unable to convert on third and four, third and four, and third and two. First team defense on the field for the first two series, forcing a three and out and then one first down after that second series both Buda Baker and Kaiser White came off the field the rest of the first team defense was on the field for that third drive with Patrick Mahomes scoring a touchdown and it was that touchdown where we saw maybe some confusion in the secondary Kyle and whether it was Isaiah Simmons or not he was the nearest defender on the play and that was the sign of things to come and it wasn't a good sign because Simmons was in the spotlight the entire game and maybe the most talked about player coming out of that game, and it's not good talk. No, it was um, it was a disappointing performance. You know, I had hoped that he had found a home. Um, seemed like uh, you know all indications coming out of training camp was he was feeling comfortable. Finally, found a spot, a place he wanted to be, a place where they could utilize his skill sets. Um, and all too often, it seemed like he was either a step slow in the wrong spot, um, chasing a receiver. Uh, but to me, uh, as a former player in a locker room, the hardest thing to get over is when a teammate shows a lack of effort in it. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to talk about that bang-bang play at the goal line where he looked like he had an angle, had an opportunity to knock the quarterback out of bounds at probably the two- or three-yard line where he pulled up and, and didn't even take a shot. 
Um, but even um, chasing uh, wide receivers across the field, I have seen, you know, once you put on film the type of closing speed and how fast you can be, you expect that every time. And, it, and even chasing receivers, um, it didn't look like he was given enough effort. Um, and that's, look, it, you know, a lot of these things you can coach through, you can work through technique, you can work through where a player's eyes should be, where his first step should be, hand placement, things like that. Um, if you're not given effort, there's – it, that's tough to coach that out of a player, and that that comes from within inside. So I think, um, you know, Isaiah Simmons has to take a hard look at, um, you know, his effort in that game because to me that's the hardest thing to get over as a teammate. Looking at a guy like Buddha Baker in the eyes at practice um, after you go out on the field and you're not necessarily laying it all on the line. And um, I understand people say, look, it's just preseason, but um, my expectation when I was on teams was all-out effort, not just in you know, games, not just in preseason games, but in practice as well, um, you know, and, and that should be, it should be hardwired into players. So, um, you know, I hope at least going forward, he can look at himself, see what he's putting on tape, see what he's not only showing his coaching staff and his teammates, but the rest of the National Football League and the Arizona Cardinals fans, and at least fix that part of his game. A lot is riding on this season for Isaiah Simmons. And as they say, the tape does not lie. And this falls on him as far as if it is, well, it's just preseason, wait till the regular season. He does not have that luxury with this coaching staff and his position as far as not knowing his future with the team or in the NFL. And again, it did not look good. He did address the media postgame. I didn't get much as far as an explanation on some of the plays that we're talking about. The Justin Watson touchdown was where he was the nearest defender in the area. Rasheed Rice, the 38-yard catch and run, and that was what you're referring to, Kyle, as far as he got beat, talking about Simmons. And then it didn't seem we didn't see that fifth gear, if you will, for Simmons to try to trace down Rice and then allowing Shane Bouchelle going into the end zone, basically untouched, whether it was a improper angle or what, but you had the opportunity, if nothing else, he's a ball carrier, doesn't matter if it's a quarterback, you can still hit him or nothing else push him out of bounds, and we didn't see any of that. Yeah, you know, there's all this talk about how great of an athlete he is and his skill set and his range, and look, I think he's in the right spot because he can go sideline to sideline. He just needs to do it because somebody else can do those things that, that might not run as fast as he does, that might not hit as hard as he does, but um, if they're given maximum effort, at least, look, you know, as a coach, coaches told me this all the time, like, it, the hardest thing for a coach is when you don't know what player is going to show up. You've got to be consistent with your effort every single play. Look, if your effort is consistently poor, that's an easy decision for a coach. I can't play that kid. But when it's the ups and the downs, and you know that's the hard part for a team, uh, when a player, you just never know which player is going to show up. Because one game, he will make phenomenal plays and game-changing plays and help you win games. And you're like, we've got to get that guy on the field. And then the next game, he just doesn't show up and take care of the little things and take care of, as you have said before, it's the the monotonous every down plays being in the right place at the right time. You know, it's all about trust. And, and trust with a player to coaches and to his teammates is so hard to earn and so easy to lose. Kyle, what do you say to – like you, you mentioned being a teammate, you don't want to see your teammate not giving that effort. If you're in that locker room, what do you say to Isaiah after that? Well, first of all, you as a player in that locker room and as a leader, you've got to demonstrate it. You've got to show I'm accountable. I'm going to work hard. I mean, 
not everybody can grab a player by the face mask and tell him he needs to pick it up. Buda Baker can. You know, J.J. Watt could. You know, those type of players that earn that type of respect by doing it day in and day out. You know, you can't just play when you feel good. You can't just go out there and execute and go all out when you're, you have no nicks or bumps or bruises or you're not frustrated. You've got to fight through that. You've got to be accountable. But I, I think that's just it. I, I think once you've earned that right to say something, somebody's got to say, hey, you're letting us down. And it's not because of your technique and it's not because you don't know what to do. It's because of your effort. And, you know, I'm assuming, look, one thing this team does from Jonathan Gannon on down they protect the team. It's team first. They're not going to call a player out um, to the media. They're not going to call him out. But you've got to imagine that behind closed doors, there's some tough conversations happening after that game to Isaiah Sammons and to a number of other players because um, it, it's not a good look. I mean, you you want to represent your team every time you get an opportunity to do so, particularly when it's on TV and and you're, and you know we've talked about this before too. This home crowd deserves so much better than they got last year in not being able to win home games. And you've got to set that precedent. When our fans are coming out here to pay their money to watch you play, you've got to go all out. No question, a teachable moment, not just for Isaiah Simmons, but a handful of players on the field on Saturday. So what do they do with a opportunity now to learn from some of their mistakes on the film? Post game, Josh Woods joining Paul Calvisi and Drew Stanton talking about what's ahead for the Cardinals. It's all just a learning experience. Uh, the good thing is these don't count yet. It's a good opportunity for us to you know, go in, watch the film, learn from the mistakes, and uh, just get back on the horse and uh, go attack uh, Minnesota. And that's what you hope you see now is a different team on Saturday because you'll see a different team. How much the starters play on Saturday based off their work in the joint practices, that's still up in the air. And then you look at what this team did offensively, unable to score points until Clayton Toon did it right before the first half. And at the beginning of the second half, that first team offense, Zach, has not put points on the board in these first two games. And and it could be also because of, I don't want to say the lack of chemistry, but the lack of playing time together. And you're going to learn really early on to the season once you play Washington, the New York Giants, and the Dallas Cowboys those first three weeks of the season what that first team offense could really produce. The offensive line for two series they played together. For two series, Marquise Brown was actually on the field. And he said, once you start playing, like you want to stay out on the field. But it's really been that chemistry. And Clayton Toon had had to make some magic happen with his legs, especially. The play, the, the scores that he did have. All right, great. Keontae was able to punch it into the end zone as they were traveling down the field, as they were driving down the field. But that first-team offense, the chemistry did not really seem to be there as much. And don't forget, no Zach Ertz on Saturday. If he's healthy week one, that changes the look of what this offense might be able to do this season. Colt McCoy over three series on Saturday, 5 of 8, 25 yards. Clayton Toon, five series, 12 of 24, 133 yards. Had a couple of touchdowns, wipes. Either Greg Dortch was called short of the goal line, not quite sure that was the case. And then a penalty wiped out another touchdown. And then we did see the mobility of Toon. Six carries for 35 yards. More like the quarterback the Cardinals are waiting to see return in Kyler Murray. Again, a lot to work on. And yeah, it is still preseason. Episode 61 of the Day Patch podcast featuring Cardinals defensive coordinator Nick Rollis is available now via preferred podcast provider. Get the latest updates via Twitter at PashPod. We continue looking back at Saturday. Some bright spots. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. 
third and goal from the six. Trips to the right, Keontae Ingram flanking Clayton Toon in the gun. Turn, gives it to Ingram, still on his feet, sheds one tackler, now bulldozing his way into the end zone. There you go, a six-yard touchdown run on third and goal. Keontae Ingram embodying the cram it vertical mantra from JG. He had good vision, he ran violent, broke some tackles, made some guys miss. I know he punched it in there that one time, but uh, he looked good. I mean, that's kind of, you know, what the expectation of him is from us. I mean, he's he's done a really good job in practice, and it was good to see him out there lathered up and get some real-life touches. The initial contact at the four-yard line. Ingram spun away, met more resistance at the one, and forced his way into the end zone. And we had not seen that yet in the preseason. Keonta Ingram making his preseason debut Saturday in what was the one and only touchdown scored by the Cardinals late in the first half. You heard the voice of Jonathan Gannon talking about his young running back. And the question we pose here now on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. Ingram, Zach, was the few bright spots, if you will, in that game as far as individual performances. 58 total yards between the rushing, receiving, and one kickoff return. Is Ingram the guy to be James Conner's backup? I believe he is, and he has talked a lot about how there's been he wasn't happy with his performance last season. Only 27 rushing attempts, 60 total yards, and a touchdown in. Yeah, in uh, in the game on Saturday against the Chiefs, he matched his entire season total just in that one drive, just with that one touchdown that he punched in there. So I would I would like to think that he is the guy. The reason why I think we still have a conversation about is he the guy or not is because of his availability. He's been dealing with what what he described and what Jonathan Gannon has described continuously throughout training camp as a quote unquote little Nick. And because of that, we haven't seen him as much. He sat out for the game against Denver, although he said he could have played. But I do believe in the passing game, especially two receptions for 20 yards, he's started to separate himself from the pack a little bit. But I think he's still got to work on that celebration because he, he ran right into the wall there. <laughs> he slipped on something and went face first into the wall. But you look at Ingram, six feet. 215 pounds he runs hard he's not afraid of contact and he does appear to be a nice compliment to James Conner who runs the same way yeah that's that's just what I was thinking I had my notes like he uh you know he's not James Conner but he the the way you envision this offense and we think it's going to go with a lot of 12 personnel a lot of runs between the tackles he brought you know he's he's thick um, he runs behind his pads. He falls forward, gets extra yards. I mean, to me, look, that, that touchdown run is really impressive. You know, you got the feeling when uh, there was a penalty, it got backed up, that it, that it was going to be hard to score. Very few teams are going to run the ball on third and six from the six-yard line. Um, and for him to wheel his way into the end zone um, shows how tough he is. But to me, the, the most impressive thing, when he entered the game, he got three straight carries. And Every single time he made the first tackler miss. Like, it, honestly, I, I didn't see that in the Broncos game with, with that uh, group of running backs. I saw it with James Conner. When James Conner started the game, had a couple of carries, I was like, that looks different. It feels different. And it was good to have him back out on the field. And then Keontae Ingram did some of the same things. And to your point, and to Zach's point, 
Um, you know, he had a couple of catches, showed good body control making the catch. Um, you know, he had a nice catch in the two-minute drive where he was able to get out of bounds to preserve the clock. So I, I think, you know, there was a number of things in his performance that were encouraging and that probably give him a leg up in the, you know, the number two running back competition. Seven carries, 28 yards, two catches for 20 yards. Ingram met the media on Monday and asked how he feels, where he fits within that running back room right now. Uncomfortable. You know, uh, it's not a position to be comfortable. Uh, it's number two. It's a role. You know, you got to earn it at the end of the day. Um, I didn't do too much last year, in my personal opinion, you know, so uh, everybody got a fresh takeoff, you know, and it's up for grab. You love that response, Kyle, as far as a player who comes in. Yeah, it's year two, and you think, hey, you're a draft pick. You're going to be given every opportunity, but it's a brand-new coaching staff, new front office. They didn't draft you, so you're coming in basically on the same level as everyone else. He understands where his position is, and I like that feeling of saying you're uncomfortable. There should be a lot of players in that locker room that feel uncomfortable about their spot. Yeah, especially him to Zach's point is he's missed a lot of practices here in training camp. I mean, you – uh, you know, the coaches and, and the scouts that are out there evaluating every day. When you miss those opportunities, that is valuable. So he, to a degree, at this point, is playing catch-up. Like, he's really got a flash and really got a show um, that, hey, this is a guy that not only can we depend on, not only can he be productive for us, um, but we feel like he's, he's going to be fine from the injury front, you know. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit pregame, too. I, I don't get the feeling, look, James Conner, he probably has the ability – to be a, a workhorse-type running back where you can give him a majority of the carries. That's not where Jonathan Gannon came from. Um, that's not even where Drew Petson came from. Um, you know, you typically have – it's more of a 60-40 type of rotation, and you can't afford to have a drop-off from your starter to your second string. So, um, you know, it, it was encouraging that he did show well. I think it's important that he gets reps in this third preseason game and does some of the same things he did against the Chiefs. Yeah, you want to see someone stack those performances, joint practices, and then from one game to the next game. And then you look at the running backs and how well they were able to run. It's because the offensive line, whether it was the first unit or the second unit, able to open up some of those rushing lanes. And that, that first-team offensive line, at least to me, Zach, that's been a pleasant surprise this entire offseason, training camp, preseason, because you've got guys who have not played with one another before as far as who's lining up next to them. And then there were some question marks at left guard, at center, maybe even at right tackle. But those questions, at least right now, appear to have been answered. you got Elijah Wilkinson at left guard, Yelda Froholt at center, and Paris Johnson Jr. is all he's done is play right tackle since practice number one. And, and I think that the, the addition of Paris Johnson Jr. has added some new life to that, to that room. We talked, uh, we, he spoke yesterday about how DJ Humphrey said to him, like, man, you're making me feel young again. They've been doing handshakes, and they've been having a lot of fun doing that. But for the the question marks that we did have entering training camp, I think we've started to answer them. And I don't think at this point, at least to me, I wasn't 100% sure what we were going to get, especially out of the center battle, if at this point we were even going to have an answer. But I think Yelda Froholt has definitely separated himself from the pack. He's been playing center. He played a handful of games with the Patriots and with the Browns at the center position, also at right guard, and having that mentality of, I'm also, I also know what a right guard needs to do, helps a guy like Will Hernandez and Elijah Wilkinson because they are going to get in sticky situations as we spoke about last week. It's going to happen because it's football. But having that mentality has definitely 
helped him from that center's perspective. It's helped his guards out. We already know what we're going to get out of DJ Humphreys, and we know that we're going to get a little, as DJ Humphreys said, a little a-hole out of Paris Johnson Jr. because that's the type of personality that he has on the field. Paris is a rookie, but he doesn't carry himself, and he's been told, as he met the media on Monday, he's been told not to carry himself as a rookie. His fellow offensive linemen have told him, you belong here. You belong with us. You belong to be a starting right tackle. And we're learning more and more about the Ohio State offensive lineman drafted sixth overall. And what came up on Monday was the trash talk and how much of that maybe we get more of this week with the joint practices against the Vikings. Paris Johnson, though, doesn't really talk much on the field. I don't really talk back. I've, I've never been a guy that talks back. I'm always thinking about the play call and I'm kind of running through exactly what I did in my head and how, how could I have done that better? How could I have, uh, like, what are the things that I like that I, I can bring to the next play? It's something I can, I can correct. And uh, for the most part, I'm just trying to breathe. You know, I'm 320 pounds. I'm trying to breathe. I don't really, I can really care less. But I feel like it's kind of about, um, I'd rather hit you than sit there and have a whole conversation. Were you much of a trash talker, Kyle, during your days? Uh, later in my career, I was. Um, early in my career, I wasn't. And I'll tell you, the scariest players are the ones that don't talk back. I mean, it, you know if you're talking to somebody and they won't look you in the eyes or they'll look at the ground that you've got them, right? Uh, but the ones that stare you dead in the eyes and don't say anything back and continue to go out there and fight and battle and you know try to take you to the ground, um, they're the ones that are scary. You, you're just worried that they're bottling all of this up inside and they're going to take it out on you. And so I, I respect that. I mean, quite frankly, um, there's, there's probably not a lot of offensive tackles that talk trash because – it, I mean, you know, it, you get beat twice as an offensive tackle. You're, you're going to be walking on the streets and not playing in the NFL. So, um, you know, you the minute they start talking and they get beat, they're in trouble. So um, I, I respect it a lot. Um, you know, everything you hear from him is just businesslike. And uh, particularly, you know, day before game and game day, um, he's really dialed in and, and wired. And sometimes some players get so wrapped up in, in talking and um, the back and forth throughout the course of a game that they're not taking care of their business and they're forgetting what their their main job is. So, um, you know, he's just uh, he's so mature for a rookie in in really everything that he has done and how he's handled himself in every interview that I've heard. And even just listening to him there, he's already on to the next play. He finishes the play, whether it's successful or not, and he's already on to the next, thinking about, okay, that went well. Now that didn't go quite well. What do I need to, to correct it? To the point where he doesn't have the time and, as you heard, the energy to even engage in any conversation with anybody. So, very impressed. Hopefully it continues on into the regular season because I do feel the Cardinals have found something in Paris Johnson Jr. this year at right tackle. Who knows? Next year, a couple years down the road, maybe at left tackle. But, again, Cardinals have their man in Paris Johnson Jr. You want to see... Number 70 in action. Cardinals single game tickets on sale now. Go to azcardinals.com forward slash buy tickets to secure your seats today. We've hit halftime here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. McKinnon with blockers across the 20-25 and he's cut down. At the 26-yard line by Fuda Baker with a nice open field tackle. Mahomes zips one over the middle. Nice pass breakup. 
Marco Wilson step for step to break that one up. That is the, the type of performance we're looking for Marco Wilson. Mahomes, play action fake, looking, throwing, sets up a screen to the right, and he is drilled. Chris Barnes in there, the tackle for loss. Some flashes from that first team defense on Saturday in the Cardinals' 38-10 loss to the Chiefs. There was flashes, and then there were a lot of, what do we say? If you're not flashing, you're getting exposed out there. A lot of explosive plays allowed by that Cardinals defense, something Jonathan Gannon postgame and then again reiterated on Monday, pointed to that was what he was most displeased about was the number of explosive plays the Chiefs offense was able to get. Welcome back. It is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. Craig Riolu, Zach Gershman, and Kyle Vandenbosch here looking back at Saturday. And the number is eight, Kyle. Eight plays of 20 or more yards allowed. All but one went for 25 or more yards. And I'm talking about all passing plays. Those eight plays accounted for 244 of the Chiefs' 393 yards through the air and something that Gannon pointed to. It wasn't all on the first-team defense, but it was consistent throughout the entire game, which gives you pause as far as not only the first-team defense but the depth behind that first-team defense. Yeah, everybody wants to point to um, you know turnover ratio as a big indicator of wins and losses, but frankly, um, your differential in explosive plays is a better indicator of whether you're going to win the game or lose the game. And it was completely lopsided in this game. And um, it, you know, some of it was coverage, and as you said, some of them were runs. Um, it, you know, the concern is at this point in training camp. Uh, you had addressed it earlier, but there was a lot of missed tackles. They had almost 200 yards in, in yak yardage. So it's not just guys catching the ball. It's not being able to get them on the ground. And, um, you know, the, the way this league has gone, um, it, almost across the board, unless you have, you know, a bunch of dudes on your defense, um, it, you know, you, you try to make these offenses, because these offenses are so good. They take advantage of every blade of grass on that football field. You try to, you know, at times you'll let a guy catch the ball at four or five yards and tackle them, get them on the ground and make them line up and execute again. And you try to make teams, you know, have a 12-play drive to execute every single time, hope they mess up at some point, hope you make a big play and get the ball back or get a stop. And the explosives will kill you when they have those one, two, or three play drives. Those are tough to overcome as a defense and as a team. So, um, you know, to me, that's the discouraging part. Um, and, you know, it's in them. I, I think this team tackled really well against the Broncos. There wasn't those missed tackles. There wasn't those big gainers after a catch or a running back breaking up the middle because of missed tackles. So, um, you know, obviously they're being trained and they're being taught how to tackle, how to leverage um, to either the sideline or your teammates. Um, it, let's just hope that it looks a little bit better and a little bit cleaner in this upcoming preseason game because it was a big concern in this one. Before we hear from you, Zach, let's hear from the head coach, Jonathan Gannon, on what he thinks hurt the defense on Saturday. You know, on defense, you give up that many explosives for that many yards, it's, that's, it's hard to keep points off the board. So I thought that got a little out of hand. I, I didn't like the penalties. That You know, that's really lack of... You know, I don't think it's discipline or focus. I think it's just a lack of technique. So we got to get that cleaned up because we set ourselves back a couple times there. Eight penalties for 82 yards for the Cardinals on Saturday. I'll give you a couple of other numbers, Zach, and that is just zero. Zero across the board. 
zero sacks, zero quarterback hits. If you're not affecting the quarterback, yeah, you're going to have explosive plays because you're forcing your secondary to cover longer than they need to or should. And it looked like an entirely different defense. Russell Wilson could not get the, the, the defense out of his face in that game against the Broncos. And then in this one, Patrick Mahomes had plenty of time. Same did all the other backup quarterbacks. Blaine Gabbert was 7 for 8. Like He had an incredible performance for the limited time that he played. And a lot of it is because of the time that they had in the pocket. Now, yes, Josh Woods did have a forced fumble. There were two forced fumbles. So the, the defenders, they were able to get their hands on the ball. Although the Kansas City Chiefs uh, return, uh, brought them back. They, they picked up their own fumble. And then Chris Barnes did have one tackle for loss. But getting to the quarterback for what we saw in that first game against Denver where it was blitz and getting to the quarterback, hitting the quarterback, it was exciting. This was the type of thing that the Cardinals have been missing over the years. And then this game, maybe it's just because the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line is very solid, but it was it did not look like the same defense. The lack of a pass rush to me, Kyle, was the concerning part because you have so many guys in that room, but you don't have a guy, the guy that you can count on uh, every single week. So you have to have a rotation. But a rotation means you're not out there for maybe five, six, seven plays in a row to set up something later on in the game. So I don't know what you do, but there was a difference between the Broncos game and the Chiefs game. Yeah, and a lot of it does have to do with the offensive line. Look, the, the, what I like about what Monty Ford is doing is he's investing in this offensive line. He understands how a team is built. He understands we need to protect our franchise quarterback. Early on, a few years ago in Patrick Mahomes' career, they invested heavily in the draft in finding the right dudes in the offensive line. They brought in free agents on that offensive line, and that offensive line is good. And, and they control some of the pass rush with their scheme as well. Um, you know, we, we saw last year, look, Patrick Mahomes is a different animal. And obviously, um, you know, the, the, his backups are not Patrick Mahomes, but they executed the same offense really well. Um, we saw last year, you know, the last thing you want to do is blitz Patrick Mahomes. Um, he ate us alive when we tried to blitz him. So, um, you know, we weren't able to bring extra guys. We weren't able to bring that extra pressure um, just because of this offense and, and, and how they execute against the blitz. Um, but to your point, we've got to find guys, particularly off the edge, that can consistently win one-on-one -on -one matchups and get pressure and get in the pocket and at least put that pressure on them early in a game so a quarterback starts to see some ghosts later on in the game. Not helping matters. Cameron Thomas, Mike J. Sanders, B.J. Ojolari did not play on Saturday. Dennis Gardeck left the game in the first half with a knee injury. Don't know his status moving forward. So you have young players in that room to just haven't had a lot of reps, specifically Cameron Thomas, Mike J. Sanders. Guys, Kyle, that you're counting on this season because – Right now, Zayvon Collins is your number one pass rusher, and he has zero, I won't say zero experience, but he has severe limited experience only doing it on occasion last year. Yeah, the concerning part for me is I, I know they have talent. Look, probably the two most athletic edge guys are MyJ and BJ Ojolari, um, but they need the reps. They need these training camp reps. They need the practice reps. They need the preseason game reps. Um, you know, you – when you're a veteran and you're an established pass rusher, you can get by with missing a portion of training camp. You can get by with sitting in preseason games. You know and you understand what your pass rush plan is. You understand how to attack a guy, how to study a guy, how to beat his hands, uh, where he sets up, if he's a vertical setter, if he's going to jump set. Um, you, you just know these things, and, and you're able to um, go out there game one with very few reps in training camp and still be a difference maker. These young players haven't figured it out or haven't shown it yet, so they – 
need these preseason reps. And I understand, you know, you can look at college production. College is an entirely different game. Um, you know, going against an NFL tackle is probably one of the toughest tasks um, in the National Football League. And so these guys hopefully can get back, can get some of these practice reps, some of these, you know, quote unquote, live reps against the Vikings in practice or even get a, you know, extended look throughout this third preseason game. The good news is Cameron Thomas did return to practice on Monday. He did not participate the week leading up to the Chiefs game. We have seen MyJ Sanders and B.J. Ojolari on the field during practice. Limited, not doing a whole heck of a lot. Let's hope that they do see a lot of times, specifically Wednesday and Thursday, those two joint practices against the Vikings, which we will talk about as we continue here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report, presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. How important, how valuable are those two joint practices before the preseason finale on Saturday? Many believe those joint practices, more important. You get more out of those than you will in the game on Saturday. We'll discuss that as we continue. We do it every Tuesday, 11 a.m. year-round here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Snap to Kyler. Drops back, fires left side. It's caught for a first down by Moore at the 40, at the 45, of the 50, and to the 45 of Minnesota and tackled at the 43. Murray in shotgun takes the snap, drops back to pass, looks right, throws right, Moore caught at 30, turns right, 25-20, Moore breaks a tackle to the 10, to the 5, touchdown! There's the explosive play, a huge response by Arizona. That is fantastic right there. Last year in Minnesota, Rondell Moore, seven catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown. That was last year. This year in Minnesota, okay, regular season versus preseason, but Rondell Moore and the Arizona Cardinals playing the Vikings on Saturday. 10 a.m. is the kickoff. That's local time here in Arizona, so pregame coverage begins at 6.30 a.m. Wake up with us here on the Arizona Cardinals radio network, and then after that, Tuesday, cut-down day, and then we're off and running week one of the regular season. But going back to those practices against the Vikings on Wednesday and Thursday, Josh Woods, a veteran in this league, post-game following the loss of the Kansas City Chiefs, asked by Paul Calvisi what he is looking forward to about the two joint practices. For guys who haven't been through joint practices before, there's two straight ahead at Minnesota. What do you tell those guys? What, what are they about to experience? Two straight games. And then another game. <laughs> that's, that's that's what that is. is we're, we're, those two practices are going to be game-like atmosphere, and but it's going to be good for us. I've heard guys say that those joint practices are more intense than the final preseason game. Yeah, actually, because you beat up on each other Wednesday and Thursday so much. By Saturday, you're tired of seeing that guy. Everybody's beat. And many times you don't see the starters on Saturday for that very reason. Kyle, you were telling us during the break that you've been a part of joint practices. Of course, you practice and then play the game as well. What do you hope the Cardinals get out of this, either from a team aspect or just individuals showcasing what they can and maybe cannot do? Yeah, to clarify, I was a part of two joint fights with a football <laughs> on the field. Um, it pretty much turned into that. But, um, no, I, I think this is a good thing. I think um, – you know, you're so cognizant of trying to not show too much in the preseason, particularly in games. Um, when you have an opportunity to go against another team, you can script some things. You can put, t you know, you can 
you, you can put your t- offense or defense in specific situations like, hey, we haven't got a lot of work in our two-minute drill kit. Can we do a two-minute period against your defense? Or, um, you know, we really need to work our screen game, and so we're going to have a, an entire screen period. And the two coaches work these things out in the details. And so, um, it, you know, you, you get to this point of training camp and you feel like there's certain things you need to work on. We haven't been able to show our blitzes because we don't want our, our first opponent to know about it. Um, you can really hone in and clean up some of the things that, that you need work on. And, um, and you know, again, I love this opportunity because, look, the Vikings were a good team last year. They went 13-4. and four. They went to the playoffs. I think they're a well-coached team. I think they're, you know, their offense gives you a number of things that you have to account for. Um, and so to be able to match up um, you know, for two full days of practice against a, a talented team, a well-coached team, um, I expect the, the Cardinals to come out of the back end of this trip a better team and to have learned a lot of things and, uh, again, have some good film um, with their ones. You know, the ones haven't got a ton of reps or at least a handful of ones um, haven't played much in preseason games, but you can expect them to get these reps, you know, uh, against some premier players and, and some – you know, a, a different offense and a different defense than they've seen up to this point. Practices will be intense. And as Kyle alluded to, sometimes, oftentimes, they do lead to more than just pushing and shoving. We know Jonathan Gannon's mantra that there is non-negotiable as far as fights in practice, but tempers do flare. You just have to make sure you're controlled in that. And again, pushing and shoving is one thing. It's when all of a sudden you ball up your fists and you start flying those and hopefully you're not breaking any hands. And it's happened all throughout the NFL, especially over this training camp, it seems like, that fights have become very common in training in these joint practices. Kyle, I want to kind of pose a question to you because Yelda Froholt spoke about how when you go against another team, like there's a sense of pride that's on the line when you're competing against that. Do you? Th- how much of it is actually pride versus just the dog days of summer just going through training camp? It is pride. It is pride. Anytime you get an opportunity to compete against somebody else, I mean, you you can't take your own teammates to the ground. You don't want to necessarily give your own teammates an extra shot. But when you're going against somebody else, you know, to me, at least our joint practices, it was almost like a toughness competition. Like, who's tougher? Which which team is tougher? Who's going to do better in nine on seven? Who's going to do better in the goal line period? Because, you know, in the end, look, football has changed a lot. Um, these offenses are high powered. Um, but in the end, as a football player, you take pride in being tough, you know. And I remember when the Rams came and visited Tennessee, um, Jeff Fisher said, look, I don't want any fights, but back down from nobody. And that kind of gave us the green light, like, hey, you know, we got to show them what we're all about. We got an opportunity to prove to somebody else that we are a tough team. We're not soft. We're not going to back down from anybody. So um, I think there's a tremendous amount of pride um, when you go against another team. You know, it's, it's hard to – take a lot of pride in going against your same defense every day or going against your same offense or the same guy. And, and if you're better than him, then you're just better than him. It's, you know, but when you're going against another group of starters against, again, um, a talented team, a team that went to the playoffs last year, um, you know, if they come out and feel like they showed well against this team and the players that they have and the coaching staff that they have, um, I consider that a win. Well, builds confidence. As far as matching yourself up against a playoff team, that's a team that's also supposed to be good this upcoming season, much like we talked about going into the Saturday game against the Chiefs. How do you measure up? How far along are the Cardinals in this reset? How far do they still have to go? And I think hopefully some of those answers, maybe at key position groups, 
get answered on Wednesday and Thursday, and we'll see what happens on Saturday. But you also have some familiar faces over there, Jordan Hicks, Byron Murphy, and then the atmosphere as far as the weather. <laughs> it's been a joke amongst those of us, Zach, that are not going to Minnesota because I'm not sure if the weather's going to be any better in Minneapolis than it is here. Excessive heat warning, humidity 66%. I can handle 100 degrees, but not 66% humidity. You could handle 100 degrees. Oh, yeah, I could do 100 degrees, just not the humidity. I mean, the humidity. I mean, they're bringing, the, they're bringing that Arizona heat out there to the, to the Twin City, so... I don't. I don't feel bad for them though. They get to go to Minnesota. So, <laughs> does that? How much of a, a weather on that? Because it's we talk about it, but you know, are the players looking at their phone as they as they head, hopefully that there was going to be say maybe a, a break in temperatures, cooler temperatures, and that's just not the case. No, you do pay attention to it for sure. Um, but you know, it, also we don't know what it's going to be like in Washington. We don't know what it's going to be like down the road in game. So it's it's always good to get as much exposure to different elements, different situations throughout the preseason so that at least mentally you're ready and you're not you're not trying to get over that hurdle in that game I remember you know we opened in Jacksonville one year and so we intentionally tried to practice as much and as hard as possible in the heat and humidity because it's brutal down in Jacksonville early in the year so um, yeah I mean they could very well get similar weather um, against the commanders week one good news is Saturday the game itself U.S. Bank Stadium is indoors so the Cardinals do have that going for them but again joint practices on Wednesday and Thursday we got a whole team out there literally a whole team out there you want to know what's going on azcardinals.com for the latest news and notes for the Cardinals in Minnesota this week special thanks to those behind the scenes as we wrap up this edition of the Cardinals Red Sea Report executive producer and birthday boy Jim Omohundro, our associate producer Cody Fincher, technical director Lauren Koble, for Kyle Enebosch, Zach Gershman, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you in one week's time. We'll recap what happened in Minnesota and then next week, yeah, final roster cuts before week one. This is the Cardinals Red Sea Report on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. 15-10-5, touchdown, Zach Ertz. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals football club. Oh.